Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation, deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Hi, everybody. Once again, my name is Amy K. Bryant. I am the artist in residence, and I will be telling the story today. Um, a little disclaimer, I wanted to change the gender identities of the characters in the stories because all of the female identifying characters are the caretakers, caretakers. but um, it happens to be based on a true story, so I can't change names and genders. But just keep in mind that uh, everybody can do everything. The boys can do the cleaning and the girls can do the outside the housework and just keep that in mind. Okay, so this story is about a kid named Hosea Ballou, whose mom died when he was about two years old. And this kid loves the mud. He likes to go out and jump in the mud and he likes to make mud pies and he likes to make mud dams and mud is just his favorite toy in the world and he even when he's walking with his family if he sees a giant puddle of mud he will jump in it with both feet splashing it all over himself and all of his family members and he had nine siblings well his oldest sisters were required to clean up after him his oldest sister had to do the laundry and his next oldest sister had to bathe him every time he came in the house with his clothes and his whole body covered in mud. And he didn't even like to take a bath. So one day the sisters go to their dad and they say, dad, can you please, please ask Hosea to stop playing in the mud? And so his dad says, Hosea, please stop playing in the mud. And Hosea says, okay. And Hosea does the best that he can to stay out of the mud, but mud is everywhere. And sometimes he can't even help it or avoid it. Like when he has to go um, get the eggs out of the chicken barn or when he has to go feed the pigs, then he just is happening to be in mud and he can't do anything about it. And then sometimes he kind of gives in to his heart's love of mud and he gets a little mud on his clothes again. And once again, his older sisters go to her dad and they say, dad, please tell Hosea to stop playing in the mud. And his dad, this time a lot more stern, says, Hosea, I asked you already, I'm gonna ask you again, please stop playing in the mud. Do not play in the mud. You must not play in the mud. And Hosea responding to his dad says, dad, are you, are you angry? And his dad says, Hosea, I'm, I'm, I'm really disappointed. I'm a little bit angry but I'm, I'm really just disappointed. And Hosea looks at his dad and says, well, do you still love me? And his dad softens up and he says, oh, Hosea, of course I love you. My love for you doesn't have anything to do with how you behave or what you do. I love you because I can't help but love you. You're my son. And that makes Hosea feel better. Well, as Hosea goes on throughout his life's journey, he does manage to spend a lot less time in mud. And as he gets older and older, he doesn't enjoy the mud as much as he used to, but he still has a lot of questions. And growing up in his dad's Baptist home, he had a lot of questions about why things are the way they are. 
and he began to ask his dad about the things that they're taught in their church. He said, dad, if I was God and I knew exactly how people were going to behave because God knows everything. And if I knew that after that they were gonna have really horrible, tough, miserable lives. And after they died, I had set up a system where they were going to be punished, most of them forever for all eternity. If I still made those people knowing that that's what their life's experience would be like, would I be a good God or would I be a bad God? And his father couldn't answer that question. So Hosea took the question and he looked at his Bible and he read lots of stories that are in the Bible and he thought about it a lot. And he also traveled and he visited a lot of different churches thinking about that question. And then he came to a universalist church where they taught him about universal salvation. And by the time he turned 19, he had decided that that's what he believed, that everybody goes to heaven that nobody goes to hell, nobody gets punished for all eternity, and that God's love is not based on how we behave, but just based on that we are God's children. And so the message of the story is that God loves us no matter what we do. Well, friends, I can't really begin a sermon about universalism without first acknowledging our minister emeritus, the Reverend John Cummins, and his father, Robert Cummins. John Cummins served First Universalist from 1963 until 1986, and his father, Robert Cummins, was the general superintendent of the Universalist Church of America and is known as the modern architect of organized universalism. It was Robert Cummins who helped navigate the merger of the Unitarians and the Universalists in 1961. They were both very small denominations dwindling at that point in time and may have gone extinct without this merger. Early in his ministry before the merger, Robert Cummins said at a Universalist General Assembly, Universalism cannot be limited to Protestantism or Christianity, not without denying its very name. Ours is a world fellowship, not just a Christian sect. He went on to say, any fellowship bearing its name, bearing the name universalist, must succeed in making it unmistakably clear that all are welcome, theist and humanist, Unitarian and Trinitarian, and then reflecting the language of his time, he added, colored and colorless. He concluded by saying, a circumscribed universalism is unthinkable. In both of their ministries, Robert and John Cummins widened the circle of universalism. And the commitment that Robert and John Cummins and other 20th century universalists shared was reflected in the symbol of that time of universalism. It was a circle with a small cross off to the side. You can see that on your screen. The cross acknowledging the Christian roots of universalism but leaving room for a broader, deeper, and more inclusive understanding. Universalism was no longer narrowly bound to Christianity. Early on in my ministry at First Universalist, the Reverend Mark Morrison Reed preached about universalism. 
His sermon reflected the ways that universalism was bigger than Christianity. He didn't mention, as I recall, he didn't mention Jesus at all in his sermon. But what Mark Morrison Reed did talk about in his sermon was the reality of a wildly loving God, an extravagant loving presence, an archetypal parent who unconditionally embraced every human being and all of creation. Mark Morrison Reed playfully described a God who drags the last unrepentant sinner kicking and screaming. No, actually, Morrison, Mark Morrison Reed amended, no, the last sinner is profanely cursing and resisting and God pulls them into heaven. What an image. God pulling, cajoling, bringing the last sinner into heaven. And I have to say, just as a little aside here, thinking about the last presidential debate uh, last week, that I wish God would have grabbed everyone on that stage and pulled them kicking and screaming into heaven because that debate was hell and revealed in real ways the hell that we're in. Mark Morrison Reed went on to say in his sermon, what a relief, what a relief to feel that ultimately there is nothing nothing I can do to alienate myself from God's loving embrace, from the almighty but tender arms of the creative force that upholds and sustains all life. The great insight of universalism, said Mark Morrison Reed, is that you cannot coerce people into loving one another. The commandments are not threats. If they are not fulfilled, God will not withdraw her love. No one has ever, no one will ever draw true love from another by punishment. Mark Morrison Reed continued, God's love is given to all and is a more powerful, positive force for good than fear can ever be. Behind this is a very simple truth, he said, in being loved, we learn to love. Those who are loved will in turn love others. In his sermon, Mark Morrison Reed was pointing to some historic and classic universalist tenets. The idea of universal salvation, the notion that God's love embraces and pulls everyone into heaven, that there is nothing we have to do or believe to merit this love. Our salvation, our being loved is already assured. No one is damned, no one goes to hell. These tenets of universalism emerged in this country in large part as a robust response to Calvinism and a Calvinist worldview in which human beings were understood as wholly disobedient sinners, sick with original sin, and some were predestined for hell, some for heaven. As fire and brimstone preachers talked about God's anger and wrath and the torments of hell, universalism offered another way, offered a different path. But what I wonder this morning, what I wanna invite us into this morning is a consideration of how might we understand today, given that heaven and hell, salvation and sin and even God are often not terms or ideas that we or others believe in or resonate in 
resonate with in a literal sense. What might universalism mean for us today? So first, as much as we may think as educated uh, human beings living in the time we live in, that we've evolved beyond the ideas of heaven and, and hell, of being saved and damned, culturally, I would argue that we have not. We are living in a time, and almost every time is this way, but particularly right now, we are living in a time of intense either or thinking. You're either good or bad, right or wronged, righteous and holy or corrupt and sinful, a pure American capitalist or a dangerous socialist. Essentially, this either or thinking means that large groups of people, if they don't think like us or look like us or speak like us, and often the us is straight, white, English-speaking American citizens, then those groups of people are more easily dismissed and rejected, ignored, harmed, detained, imprisoned, and at the very worst seen as completely inhuman, their lives worth nothing. Universalism from its inception challenges the either or thinking that is so prevalent in human beings. Universalism in essence holds the full complexity of human life of life itself. Universalism holds space for mistakes, flaws, blunders, missteps, and the times we fall short, those times we get muddy, as we heard in that story about Hosea Ballou. Universalism holds space for bad behavior, behavior that hurts and harms others intentionally or unintentionally, but does not suggest that human beings, therefore, are fundamentally bad, defective, or irredeemable because of the mistake or harm that they caused. We don't get off the hook for the harm that we have caused. We have to be accountable, but it doesn't damn us to hell or cast us outside the human family forever. So now, as I've said, many of us do not believe in a literal heaven or hell. And so those concepts reimagined are really critical for thinking about a relevant universalism in our lives in this time. So if we reimagine heaven, as many have done, this is not new to me, if we reimagine heaven, not as some otherworldly place we go after we die, but as the beloved community, as Dr. King and others have pointed to, as a place and a practice of mutual regard and interdependent relationships of love and care, if we imagine heaven as beloved community and reimagine hell as the violence and suffering, the hate and pain and supremacy thinking that is alive in the world, then a renewed universalism can be a critical star that we follow. And quite honestly, I have found the proposed eighth principle of Unitarian Universalism to be rocket fuel for a reimagined universalism. The proposed eighth principle of Unitarian Universalism developed by Unitarian Universalist Paula Cole Jones and Bruce Pollock Jackson is critical because it fills in some of the blind spots of our faith. As Paula Cole Jones says, after working with congregations on racial justice issues for over 15 years as a consultant and trainer, 
I realized that a person can believe they are being a good Unitarian Universalist and following the seven principles without thinking about or dealing with racism or other oppressions at the systemic level. Essentially, Paula Cole Jones is saying, how can we call ourselves Universalists or Unitarian Universalists if we do not directly confront the hell of racism and other oppressions? Let me share the eighth principle with you so that we can all be on the same page. We'll put that up on the screen so that we can ground in on this proposed eighth principle. We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. Bam, bam, that just catches my heart. And what I see in this eighth principle, and I see these echoes from universalist thinkers from Mark Morrison Reed and others throughout the decades is this, love is calling us to build heaven on earth, to build a diverse multicultural beloved community by loving the hell out of ourselves and our institutions, by dismantling white supremacy habits and practices and policies. Universalism, as is expressed in the eighth principle, is a far cry from a blasé, unexamined universalism which claims everyone is loved, we're all equal, and isn't that nice, without adequately accounting for human systems of oppression and injustice. Universalism, as it is expressed in the eighth principle, is a far cry from a universalism that flattens difference and basically asserts a universal human experience, which too often centers whiteness and ignores significant cultural and racial and ethnic and class differences and distinctions. Universalism, as expressed in the eighth principle, calls us to root out the hells of this world in specific and concrete ways. And this is an extraordinarily demanding call. This universalism is not an easy faith. Any person or institution wrestling with dismantling racism and white supremacy knows, especially if you're white, that you'll make mistakes You'll put your foot in your mouth, you'll fumble around, you'll feel shaky, you'll fall short, and then you'll have to begin again in love. And the question is, when we do fall short in building beloved community, and our feelings are hurt, and defensiveness and anger are present, do we fall into the Calvinist worldview of good and bad, saved and damned? Do we retreat to a place of innocence saying, that, that's, not, that's not what I meant. You're, you're misunderstanding me. Why, why are you making me feel that way? Or I'm not a racist. I'm not, I'm not a racist. Or do we take a deep breath and trust that building beloved community requires discomfort and unsettledness? And can we rest in the love that is present and then find a way forward. 
these hard moments are the invitational moments to live a renewed universalist faith and to trust anew that failures and mistakes don't mark us as broken, flawed, and unlovable. They only mark us as human, nothing more, nothing less. Mud is just mud. Each of these hard moments on the road to beloved community is a choice point. We can choose to fall back into the either or narrative, betraying our universalist core, or we can trust that we are needed and loved and we can move through the discomfort and the dis-ease knowing we are moving toward beloved community. The eighth principle gives us a roadmap. This proposed eighth principle gives us a roadmap to truly live and practice a renewed universalist faith. It gives us a way to put flesh on the bones of our faith, to create heaven, beloved community, right here, right now. It gives us a way to ask again and again, how are we rooting out hell? How are we rooting out the practices of supremacy thinking in ourselves, in our communities, in our institutions? It gives us a way to hold the complexities of our lives, to hold the reality that sexism, racism, classism, it is baked into so many of us. And to know that we are and can be more than those things that are baked into us, that we are in fact, even with those things, still known and called beloved. And when we know ourselves as beloved, even when we're covered in mud, and that there is nothing that we can do to lose that love, then the door of our heart opens. Compassion bursts forth. And heaven, heaven on earth becomes possible. May it be so. And amen. And blessed be. Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text FIRSTUNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.